0: This is The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. David is the Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel Casa Grande in Casa Grande, Arizona.
1: The hardest people to counsel are those who are counselors because they have all the answers. And you're not going to give them anything new. Oh yeah, I know that, I know that. Well, the problem isn't in the knowing, the problem is in the doing. Toughest people to counsel are those who are very knowledgeable of the Word of God, and yet they're not following it. Well, look, let me share with you what the Word of God says. Oh, I know that. I know that.
0: But are you doing it? Pastor David will be teaching us about the importance of sincerity and not allowing ourselves to be caught up in empty ceremony and rituals. God is not pleased by meaningless actions, God wants us to obey out of a genuine heart that loves Him. The Lord desires obedience and not sacrifice. Pastor David will also be warning us not to allow knowledge to puff us up. We must guard ourselves against only having head knowledge, and to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Let's join Pastor David in the book of Romans, chapter 2, verse 17, for part one of our message entitled, Not Enough.
1: Follow along with me if you've got your Bibles. You should be in Romans chapter 2, and I'm going to begin reading in verse 17 through 24. Indeed, you are called a Jew, and rest on the law, and make your boast in God. And know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out of the law, and are confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say, do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles. It's quite the revelation that Paul begins laying out here, and once again, as a good prosecuting attorney, he's laying out all of these facts before them, before then he comes and brings that accusation that, man, the, the end of all these things is an eternity away from God, and as Jesus says, an eternity in hell. Paul, as his prosecuting attorney, is very distinctly laying out point by point, first he accused the non the nonbelievers, the atheists, the, the pagans. And he says, man, you're without hope outside of Christ. And now he comes to those who are the Jews, those who should be knowledgeable. And he speaks about that very fact that, man, you know his will. And you approve the things that are excellent because you've been instructed out of the law. He lays out to them that you know these things and you know the truth... And yet, you're not doing it. He says in verse 19 that you're confident that you yourselves are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in darkness. Well, Jesus spoke about the blind leading the blind. And that's exactly what Paul is speaking here. You say that you know the truth. You say that you have confidence to lead others. But you're just blind people leading other blind people. And what's the result of that? They both fall into the ditch. Saying that they know but not really seeing, not really continuing on in the direction that they ought to be going. Well, one of the things that we know is that knowledge can be good. There's no doubt about the fact that knowledge can be good. We have a lot of areas that, man, you need to have knowledge. If somebody's going to be a brain surgeon on me, I hope that they have the knowledge to be able to do that for me. But even in spiritual things, knowledge can be good, even for the non-believer. Let's say a non-believer, if he's reading the Word of God and he says, well, I'm not going to go to Christ, but I believe that the principles of the Bible are good. Well, he's going to be a much nicer non-believer than one who denies these things. Amen? I would much rather have a non-believer who believed in the at least the principles of the Bible that I'm dealing with than someone that totally rejects it. it. Within that knowledge, we gain moral instruction. Moral instruction. And I believe that, again, at the founding of this country, even in education system, the Bible was taught on a regular basis within the schools. And there was moral instruction that was given to children. You don't dare do that now in public schools. Man, they'll get you out of there and have all kinds of lawsuits against you. Who are you to teach morals to my child? And yet, moral instruction is good. Knowledge is a good thing. But there are other times that knowledge is not so good. In my years as a pastor and counseling different people through those different years, the hardest people to counsel are those who are counselors. Because they have all the answers. And you're not going to give them anything new. Oh, yeah, I know that. I know that. Well... The problem isn't in the knowing. The problem is in the doing. Toughest people to counsel are those who are very knowledgeable of the Word of God, and yet they're not following it. Well, look, let me share with you what the Word of God says. Oh, I know that. I know that. But are you doing it? Therein comes the problem. And therein comes the time when knowledge is not so good. As a matter of fact, Jesus warned us about the fact that those who had knowledge are going to be under a stricter judgment. We can look over in Luke, and keep your place there in Romans if you would. Just go back to the left uh, several books, to the Gospel book of Luke, chapter 12. and We read where Jesus is speaking to those who say that they have all of this knowledge. In verse 40, chapter 12 of Luke, we'll back up to verse 40. Jesus says, "'Therefore you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming, and an hour that you do not expect.'" And then Peter said to him, "'Lord, do you speak this parable only to us or to all people?' And the Lord said, "'Who then is that faithful and wise steward, whom his master will make ruler over his household, to give them their portion of food in due season?' Blessed is that servant who his master will find so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has." But if that servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat the male and female servants and to eat and drink and be drunk, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and in an hour when he is not aware and will cut him into two and appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant who knew his master's will, listen to this point a servant who knew his master's will and did not prepare himself or do according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he who did not know, yet committed things deserving of stripes, shall be beaten with few. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required, and to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more." Knowledge is good, but knowledge is not enough. Along with knowledge, there needs to be obedience. Paul also in this chapter, in this section here, speaks about ceremony. In verses 25 through 29, if you'll follow with me, back in Romans. For circumcision is indeed profitable If you keep the law, but if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirement of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who, even with your written code and circumcision, are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart, in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. This whole idea of circumcision was a ceremony, the physical cutting that came upon a male within the Jewish households to again identify them of the household of Israel. In essence, the household of faith. It was a physical thing that was done to them in order to identify them, but yet what Paul is saying, that physical thing is not enough if the heart isn't right, if they're not following after me in it. And that's what happened with all of Israel. They took upon themselves the physical cutting, but yet their hearts remained hard against the things of God. Beloved, there's sometimes that ceremonies are profitable. There's no doubt about that. There are ceremonies, and even as Paul says, hey, you know, circumcision is indeed profitable. Well, there's other ceremonies that are profitable for us. We look at circumcision, but uh, for For the Jew, but for us as Christians, we might speak of baptism. Baptism is profitable. The Lord says, "Hey, when you believe in me, be baptized and that 's one of the commands of the lord it 's one of the ordinances of the Christian Church, but yet for someone to come and get wet does absolutely nothing for them. I got wet when I was in fifth grade. I was put under water completely at the little Baptist church that I was going to, but it did nothing. Within my life, I was not ready. I just went forward with a bunch of uh, what we call junior boys at that time, and we all made a at least some sort of public commitment of faith. But I knew in my life that it wasn't real. It wasn't until I became a senior in high school that I made that real total commitment to Christ. And at that time, I got baptized. The time before, I simply got dunked. I got wet baptism does you no good if there is nothing within the heart. The same thing with the sharing of the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And one of the warnings that I give to people on a regular basis when we come to this table is, is that if you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I ask you not to partake of this table. Because what it does for many is they think that by ceremony that I'm going to be pleasing to God and therefore God will be on my side and everything will be good because I'm going through ceremony. But outside of Christ, that's all it is. It's just a ceremony. It has no meaning. With a heart that is not his, going through ceremony, then at that point in time, ceremonies become empty. And that's the danger when ceremonies are empty. How many times have we heard or seen pop stars singing some sort of sacred music? You know, you have someone like a Madonna singing uh, an Ava Maria and uh, absolutely nothing. I mean, it means nothing to her, and yet some people are so wowed by it. As I grew up, my parents were great fans of country music, and it was always amazing. We could always find a uh, country music star putting out his latest sacred music album. Those of us that are my age know what albums are. They are the things about that big, and they're flat, and they used to spin around. Sacred music albums. You think, well, okay, but does the individual's life show that? Or on one hand, we hear the news report of how this one was arrested or that his guy gone through his third or fourth divorce or he's been sleeping around on his wife or he's arrested for drunkenness and brawling. But yet he's got this brand new sacred music album out, you know. That's an empty ceremony. That's something that doesn't mean a thing to God. How about athletes that uh, after a victory or perhaps after a touchdown they'll they'll point toward heaven and sometimes i want to I want to follow that individual and find out okay where's the rest of his life is he really and truly giving glory to God or is he just kind of Following something that looks kind of cool by other athletes to kind of get more favor. Is he really and truly a believer in Jesus Christ and he's giving glory and honor to Christ? Or after the game does he go with all of his buddies and live just a kind of a reckless and an empty life? Ceremonies that mean absolutely nothing. People will call the church at times and say, do you guys do weddings? Well, where do you go to church? Oh, we don't go to church right now, but we're thinking about going to church. Okay. My question to them, then, is why do you want a Christian wedding instead of simply going down to the justice of the peace? Well, we want God to bless our marriage. God will not bless a marriage just because it's done in a church. God blesses a marriage that is committed to Christ. Same way with funerals, and I'm reminded of the story of the mobster's brother who was having a funeral at a church, and he came to the pastor and he says, now look, pastor, I want you to say some really good things about my brother. And if you do, I've got, you know, $500,000 I'll put towards your building program. The pastor looked at the mobster and said, but your brother was a thief. He was a a liar. He was a cheat. He was a murderer. He says, yeah, but pastor, you cannot speak about my brother. You've got to speak and tell them about what a saint he was, and we'll give you the $500,000. The pastor says, okay. I mean, after all, you got a big building program. You've got to do something. So in the midst of the funeral, he comes up and says, Franco here was involved in the mob. He was a murderer. He was a liar. He was a thief. But he was a saint compared to his brother that's sitting here this morning. <laughs> oh. Christian wedding, a Christian funeral, it will not do any. Ceremonies can be empty at best. At worst, they can give hope to somebody that the Word of God never speaks hope for. Ceremonies are not enough. You can have all the knowledge and all the ceremony you want, but they are not enough when we come to stand before our King. In chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, Paul does speak about that there is some intrinsic value in knowledge and ceremony that in and of themselves, they are a good thing. He's not knocking these things. Verses 1 and 2 of chapter 3, he says, What advantage then has the Jew, or what is the profit of circumcision? Well, much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. You see, for the Jew, they had knowledge. And what a blessing that knowledge was for them. Because in the knowledge that they had, they had understanding of the law. They had understanding and teachings from the prophets. They had the glorious promises that were theirs because they were Israel. And God had called them and made them a nation out from among all other nations. God chose Israel. Man, what a blessing that was. And for every Jew, they understood that because as a young Man, they, as a child, they would be learning the scriptures and learning the scriptures until finally by the time they got about the age of 13, they would have their bar mitzvah and actually become an adult, a man within the household of Israel. The knowledge was a good thing, Paul is saying. He speaks of the ceremony, though he just speaks only of circumcision. The overall idea is that ceremony, there are good things about ceremony. For the Jew in particular, they have the feast days, and every one of the feast days spoke about the blessing of God in their lives. You would have the feast days of the tabernacles. You would have the Passover. You would have the Feast of Trumpets. You would have all of the glorious feasts that God had given them to, again, remember how God had guarded, protect them, and kept them through the years. Ceremony was a good thing. They also had the temple. And within the temple, all the elements and the instruments of the temple brought them to an understanding that God makes provision for them. We see on this side of the cross how everything within the temple pointed right to Jesus. He was the light of the world. He was the bread of life. He was the ultimate sacrifice for man. And on and on and on again, we see these elements within the temple. So the custom of going to the temple was a good thing. And even circumcision. Even circumcision, because at a very young age... The child would understand, no, God has a special purpose and plan in my life because I've been born under the household of Israel. It was a good thing for them, but yet, if they didn't receive it, if they didn't accept it, if they didn't take it from the heart, they would miss the meaning. But yet, God had given them this glorious, rich heritage. And Paul isn't knocking that at all. As a matter of fact, he commends them for that rich heritage. Again, I'm reminded of a story, a story of a fellow that was walking through the forest one day, and he found a young eagle on the ground, and the young eagle couldn't quite fly yet. It had apparently fallen out of a high tree, and so the man picked the eagle up and brought it back to his farm and put it there in the chicken coop with all the rest of its chickens. And so he was able to eat the chicken feed, and he was protected in there, and uh so time went by and this little eagle began to develop and he was an odd looking chicken, but he was he was there with the rest of them, just kind of again, kinda of hanging around with the chickens, eating the chicken feed and being taken well care of. Well, one day this uh wildlife management guy happens to go driving by and he happens to look over in this chicken coop and here's this eagle sitting there and he goes and talks to the farmer and the farmer explains the situation. And he says, But This eagle was born to fly, not to be a chicken like this. And so he took the eagle and he lifted him up in the air like this. And the eagle just looked around. He saw the chicken feed and saw the other chickens and just dropped back down. So the man says, well, this isn't right. This eagle was designed to fly and not be a chicken. So he took the eagle and he climbed up on top of the farmer's barn and he raised the eagle up. And the eagle looked around and... Hopped off of his uh, hands and down on the roof and then back down on another roof and then finally back down into the yard with the rest of the chickens. And this wildlife management guy says, this isn't right. This is an eagle. It's not a chicken. And so he takes the eagle, puts him in his car and drives up to a high mountain. And there on the edge of a cliff, reaches that eagle out. And finally, that eagle, no longer the, the familiarity of the other chickens and the feed that's there, But now the openness of the skies, suddenly something clicks in him. And with a scream, finally that eagle spread out its wings and began to soar. He was designed as an eagle, not as a chicken. And yet because he had been living among the chickens for so long, he didn't know his heritage. You see, the Jews had allowed themselves to live among the pagans and the non-believers for so long and that they had literally brought their own customs and mixed them in with everything else to the point that they suddenly started losing even the understanding of their heritage. So, you know, heritage in and of itself is not enough. We've got to move on even beyond that. Paul begins to show us that there's a... Greater need, a deeper need that we have in verses three through eight. He speaks for, what if some did not believe? And will their unbelief make the faithfulness of God without effect? Well, certainly not. Indeed, let God be true, but every man a liar, as it is written, that you may be justified in your words and may overcome when you are judged. But if our unrighteous, unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then, how will God judge the world? For if the truth of God has increased through my lie to His glory, why am I also still judged as a sinner?" And why not say, let us do evil that good may come, as we are slanderously reported, and as some affirm that we say, their condemnation is just. Paul speaks to them about the fact that, you know what, there are others that are saying that because I'm speaking of grace rather than the law, then they're saying that I'm saying that the law is of no value at all. I'm saying that you can just go and live any way that you want to. That's not true. That's not what Paul was saying. As a matter of fact, in Philippians, he speaks about not only the the heritage that he has, but again, his understanding of it. In Philippians 3, he speaks about, though I also may have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. I was circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me? This knowledge, this ceremony, this heritage. These I counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish.
0: Thanks for joining us for today's edition of The Open Word. Pastor David will continue verse by verse through the book of Romans next time. It's been said that if a believer were to drop their Bible on the ground, it should fall open to the book of Romans. Why, you might ask? Because this book is packed full of doctrine that we truly need to grasp as believers in Jesus. Or maybe you're listening today and you haven't placed your faith in Jesus yet. We encourage you to continue tuning in Monday through Friday as Pastor David shares insights from this book. Pastor David will be teaching through this book with hopes that all those tuning in each day here on The Open Word... Would either be saved or be encouraged in their salvation. If you're like most people, you probably use a smartphone. Once you subscribe to the Open Word Podcast, you'll always have solid Bible teaching available to you anywhere, anytime. So log on to theopenword.com and subscribe to the open word podcast. And to become our Facebook friend or to follow the Open Word Twitter feed or to access the archive of messages, log on to theopenword.com. Well, that's all the time we have for today. We invite you to join us again for the next study of Pastor David's teaching through the book of Romans. That's next time on The Open Word.